Welcome to House Hunters. I'm Suzanne Huang. Mitchell and Jane Englander have outgrown their old home. With the birth of their second child only three months away, these first-time homebuyers are struggling to find the perfect house, get a loan, make an offer, and move in, all before the baby arrives. The clock is ticking for the Englander family. Can they find a home before their time runs out? It's all next on House Hunters. Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, and welcome back to Who and Company, episode 48. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. Okay, it's completely unintentional, but once again, we find ourselves finishing out the year with an accomplished podcaster. You've no doubt heard her smooth NPR voice on the award-winning all-woman Doctor Who podcast, Verity. That's right, our guest is Deb Stanish. Deb stops by to talk to us about her Doctor Who fandom, how 2020 was unfortunately a very busy year, and our expectations for the New Year special, of course. Verity. Then we gather our tax papers and pay stubs and head to the bank for a loan as Deb brings along her pick of the month, the HGTV powerhouse of home improvement, House Hunters. We discuss the incredible longevity of the show, how it's influenced numerous other home improvement shows, and created multiple spinoffs. And before we get started, it has been quite the year, and we want to take a moment to thank all of our guests who have taken time to talk with us this year, including Michelle Simmons, Sophie Isles, Stacy Smith question mark, Liam McNicholas, Sophie Hopkins, Sophie Aldred, Kyle Anderson, Emily Cook, Robert Hack, Leon from Who Back When, Rianne Starbuck, and of course, Deb Stanish, who we will talk with right after this. Don't these children living rough around the bomb sites. They come out during air raids looking for food. Mommy, please. Suppose they were there when this thing, whatever it was, landed. It was a med ship, it was harmless. Yes, you keep saying harmless. Suppose one of them was affected, altered. Altered how? I'm here. It's afraid, terribly afraid and powerful. It doesn't know it yet, but it will do. <laughs> it's got the power of a god and I just sent it to its room. Doctor? I'm here. Can't you see me? What's that noise? End of the tape. It ran out about 30 seconds ago. I'm here now. Can't you see me? I sent it to its room. This is its room. Our guest this month is both a familiar face at Doctor Who conventions and a familiar voice on Doctor Who podcast. She's a founding member of the acclaimed Verity podcast, Deb Stanish. Welcome to Who and Company. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like this has been a really long time coming because we've been trying to do this for a while and my schedule has not allowed me. So thank you for your patience in pursuing having me on as a guest because I am very excited to talk to you both. Oh, yeah. And we are excited to talk to you. And you're, you're 100% right. Like every time we start a new season 
uh, we have a list of, of folks we want on, and, and uh, you've been on every year yep. Uh, yep. on that list. And uh, hey, look at that. It only took... <laughs> 48 episodes. <laughs> that's right. And a pandemic. And a pandemic. That, you know, that's the thing. And I think we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but with all the garbage that has been going on in the world, the, one of the few nice things that we can say is it's it's been pretty easy, or at least a lot easier to get in touch with folks uh, to do podcasts because, you know, not everyone's got uh, a full plate these days. It's true. I mean, we when we there are six of us on Verity, so scheduling there's six of us in one, two, three, four, five time zones. Mm. So scheduling's tricky uh, on a good day, and all of us, you know, it's not been that bad lately yeah. because yeah. nobody's doing anything. We're all home. We're all you know, nobody's got outside commitment. So that's a small blessing. Well, speaking of the quarantine, uh, you know, we've been we've been starting every every episode since. Uh, but just kind of checking in with each other and and finding out. Um, so how is your? I, I mean, we've been saying lockdown to some of our UK folks, but uh, mm-hmm. I guess like quarantine works. How's your quarantine been? It has been. Oh man, you guys are in for it. Um, <laughs> so my quarantine it has not changed my life at all. If anything, has made it much more complicated. Um, For listeners who don't know, I am the office manager at a funeral home in Philadelphia. That's been hit really, really hard with COVID. So um, it has been frantic as we've had to pivot uh, a business that's very hands-on to being not hands-on. Trying to, it's a a small family-owned funeral home. So trying to update systems that allow people to work remotely has been very challenging. Um, thank God they basically just said, you do what you need to do, which is why I came into the job was to assist them in, um, helping update systems. And it just turned into this job where I really found I liked it and decided to stay on. So, um, it's been hard because you see the best and you see the worst of people during a quarantine. And, um, we've been picking up, we've been hit with the Thanksgiving surge that everybody was talking about. So it's mm-hmm. been a lot of long hours. It's been a lot of really, really sad stories. And it's the type of job where, um, you, you, obviously you're helping people on their very worst day of their life. And it's, and it's sad, but you do feel like you're doing good work at the end of the day. This is something completely different because it's not natural. It's not a natural life cycle sort of thing. So you're dealing with a lot of extraordinary sadness, a lot of, a lot of regret people that took chances they shouldn't have taken and a loved one got ill. So, um, it's, there's a lot of, um, anxiety that goes along with that. So we were talking about right before we started recording that, you know, you just keep going and going and going, and you know, when this is all over, you're probably going to completely fall apart. But in the interim, you just keep doing what you need to do, trying to keep the ship steady. You know, I have adult children at home. I have a teenager who's in high school. Um, you know, homeschooling, I have a college student going to school from home. And I have one who just to December graduation, just finished up his uh, last internship for his his school. So, um, you know, you just try to keep, you just try to keep everybody's spirits up, you try to keep thing on things on an even keel. While at the same time, you realize that everything is really messed up. So like, 
it's kind of like living this divided life where you just kind of go about your day and you do what you need to do and you just try to take care of everybody around you and 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 know that you know there is a light at the end of the tunnel but right now it seems pretty far off so um i think i just have i have a completely different perspective because you know i've been going to work every day i didn't have that lockdown experience where i could sit and binge watch something on netflix or um you know, read a book or catch up and do all those things. I'm looking at everybody's end of the year list of the things that they managed to accomplish despite the pandemic and thinking, yeah, that, that wasn't me. If anything, my work got much busier. So, um, it's, it is what it is. And, you know, we're all going to get through this and I think we're, we're probably all going to have some scars when it's all said and done. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brent, it's been a while since I've checked in. How are you doing, bud? We're doing better. I'm thankfully still working, and my wife has started her own business selling uh, Color Street nail polish. Um, we had a good Christmas, and uh, as far as watching things, I'm about, I'm about to finish my run of Kojak. So <laughs> I've got about five left of the last season, and then there's like seven TV movies. Um, it, it's just, I watched that with my dad a few times when I was a kid, but I don't remember anything about the stories. Uh, there was some really good solid writing back then. It's a good show. Isn't it funny looking back at some of those 70s programs? I mean, there was there were a lot more complex than I remember them being as like a kid yeah. watching reruns. Yeah. There's there's some good stuff. I have to check my bias constantly uh with programming before the 90s, you know, the when I actually started watching television because I always make this really ignorant naive assumption that it was just fluff. It was all mm. Nick at Night style television where it was all, you know, fun family sitcoms. And, and, you know, every once in a while I'll go back and watch something and go, no, there's so much complexity and storytelling going on that I just wasn't aware of or just as a, I was just kind of ignorant of as a a viewer. I just don't know my TV history. I'm always really impressed uh, when when the recommendations that people hand down turn out to be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, um, we we've been hanging in there, right? So you know, it's it's school. The semester's done for my wife and I, and so you know, we've got a little bit of time to spend together. I've done something this year that I've never done before, which is kind of em- tried to embrace the Christmas spirit uh, and been a little less humbuggy. Um, <laughs> so I, I've watched Christmas movies for the very first time, like a lots <laughs> lots of them. Um, not because I, I feel like a, a, a need. I just never done it before, and, and we're stuck at home. So we, we got a tree, and we decorated it, and we put in some Christmas lights. And, you know, I was like, well, I, you know, I've never watched uh, A White Christmas. We should watch that. Oh, I've never watched Muppet Christmas Carol. I'll watch that. I mean, I started watching these things. They're good. They're, like, really enjoyable. I, I understand what people are, are talking about. It's never been a part of my childhood. So um, I gave it a shot. It was fun. It was, it was um, a new experience. Um you know, speaking of Christmas, anybody get any good Doctor Who swag for Christmas? <laughs> mm-hmm. I got absolutely nothing Doctor Who related. Hmm. Um, but it's okay because I kind of put a moratorium on that. You know, I'm, I'm the type of person that can get very obsessive about fandom. Mm-hmm. And I went through a phase with several fandoms where, um, you know, like have all the stuff. And then you realize that you're just surrounded by stuff. And part of my quarantine coping mechanism was 
I was one of those people that was decluttering everything. So I kind of put a moratorium. I said, don't, you know, I love it all. And I appreciate that it's out there. But unless I specifically request something, let's not. So I did buy myself HBO Max so I could watch the modern Doctor Who because I am just so lazy that the thought of getting up and putting a DVD (laughs) in, it just seems like such effort. You know, so if I can just press a button and stream, so that was my that was my Doctor Who gift because that is the sole reason we got HBO Max was so I could have modern Doctor Who streaming. <laughs> I got a couple of TARDIS T-shirts and I finally got an Adventure in Space and Time on Blu-ray. Ooh, nice, so yeah, good. That is really good. Love it. Yeah, that's one that I can. I mean, it's it's a heavy show, but it really does remind me of that amazing year where. It seemed like Doctor Who was in the air everywhere I went, and everyone was, you know, in on it. And it wasn't like I felt weird or uh, an outsider in my fandom because of the real beginnings of my fandom. But you know, mm-hmm. 2013 was so great, and that's a that was a big part of it. I remember watching that live with everybody and really enjoying it. That felt like the heart of the 50th anniversary, more so than the actual 50th anniversary Mm -hmm. episode itself. Like that really captured, at least for me, and watching that and watching, you know, following along on Twitter as everybody was live tweeting it, it, that felt like, okay, this is, this is the thing that we're all holding on to. Like this is the emotion that fandom has about it. 50th anniversary episode was great. It was nice. But that movie, I think really hit it. A lot of folks who watched that at the, um, coffee shop that we had in in greensboro we would watch doctor who together new episodes but not a lot of people were into the classics and after watching that movie we started getting a lot of requests for playing episodes and so we did we we showed some of the older episodes based on that specifically for hartnell because they wanted to know because like they got that they they felt that spark Mm -hmm. and they wanted to kind of learn more about it and uh, that's when i found out that i had never actually seen an unearthly child the original version because when you put the dvd in it plays the pilot the with all the mess ups and the harsh doctor right. and, I, and i've been i've been watching that for years uh and not realizing it so that's that was what came out of that for me <laughs> um i also got hbo max um uh for that I wanted to watch some Steven Universe. You know, the fact that I can just watch Doctor Who. And that's the other thing, too, is I started um, December 1st. I started watching the Christmas specials and, um, you know, partially for some Doctor Who homework for other podcasts. But also I just I hadn't watched them in years and I have them all on the shelf. I can't be bothered to go over and simply, you know, the (laughs) 10 feet pick. It's it's so sad. Then you got to like open it up and put it in. You got to push buttons. You got to get past all the trailers. It's like, you know, this is how the Amish watch TV. Like You should just <laughs> be able to push a button and stream something instantly. This is all I'm saying. The only problem with that is not having all the DVDs. You don't get all the delicious VAM, which I right. love all the extra stuff. So yeah. if they if they had a streaming service that was just like the the editorial or the extra content of DVD box sets, like I would subscribe to that so hard, like, I would leave skid marks. It would be amazing because I love that stuff. (laughs) Where's my behind the sofa channel, right? Yeah, exactly. There should be that. I mean, I have like 72 streaming channels I pay for anyway and nothing, you know, I never have the one I need when I want to watch something, but I would, I'd pay for that. So uh, speaking of Doctor Who, when did you first start watching? What was your origin story? My origin story. Oh my gosh. Uh, Verity listeners, I apologize because you've heard this before. 
Um, I started watching in June 2005. Um, I remember it very distinctly because I was on Live Journal, RIP, at the time involved in a, you know, a pretty robust fanish group centered around Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I still love and adore. And that was really, Buffy was really my first foray into a fandom, um, I would say like my first adult fandom, where I looked at television as something richer and deeper than just entertainment because it was such a smart show that had so much to say. So when you trust your tribe, your compatriots, your choir, and they tell you that something amazing is out there and you should take a look at it, you do. So, I mean, I kind of resisted for a while. I had no idea. I literally watched one five-minute snippet of Doctor Who on BBC back in the 80s um, and immediately turned it off. That was my only exposure. I knew this thing existed, but I had no idea what it was, what it was about. But all of a sudden, I started seeing people, you know, who are on my friends list in LiveJournal talking about this dude with a number for a name, which I thought was really weird. Everything was like, oh, nine this and nine that. (laughs) And then finally, they convinced me to start watching it. And it was after the series had finished. Um, and you know, back then I say every, you know, everything technical I learned in, on how to, you know, whip my way around a laptop is, is a result of trying to illegally acquire Dr. Who. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I managed to get it. And, you know, the first episode was interesting. It was okay. And then, you know, I was like, all right, stuck with it and stuck with it. And then I got to Empty Child and Dr. Dances. Mm. And... Of course, you know, you start watching that and it's a two-parter, so you have to finish it. And it was, you know, at that point, you know, you just, it, it just was amazing. And I think it was Father's Day, though, and I always tell this, Father's Day is the story that, like, I absolutely made me love the show unconditionally. Um, and I've told Paul Cornell this, and it goes right to his head. But... <laughs> um, it's just the, the whole, it just captured me. And I think not having the baggage of watching Classic Who or knowing of Classic Who or knowing of the fandom around Doctor Who and Classic Who um, made made a huge difference. Because first of all, I was on Live Journal at the time. That's where I was talking. It was my fanish space. Very female centric. I had no idea boys like Doctor Who until, you know, two years watching Doctor Who. Um, and... I completely thought it was this fabulous space romance. Like, convince me otherwise. I had no idea that people were like, oh, the doctor kissed somebody. That's gross. I thought it was this great sort of platonic, maybe not so platonic love story. So, you know, I walked into it completely with fresh eyes. And I think that made such a difference um, in how I approach fandom basically to this day because I didn't have any of those preconceived notions so that was my that was my entreeway and I very early on I guess I was watching the second season or at the end of the second season uh, a mutual friend introduced me to Graham Burke of Reality Bomb it was pre-Reality Bomb days and he was the editor of a fanzine in Canada it was a pretty popular fanzine and he asked me if I would be interested in writing some articles for it because he had read some of my writing and liked it and that's kind of how I got into the more professional side of fandom of publishing and things um that was the very first my very first foray into writing about Doctor Who so I owe a lot to Graham it's all Graham Burke's fault basically we can just blame him (laughs) 
I wouldn't be podcasting if it wasn't for Graham Burke. Oh, I know. He's so good. (laughs) He's so good. So uh, we have a New Year's episode coming up later this week. Um, What are your expectations for that? You know, my expectations are... I think it's going to be sad. I think we're going to see some companions departing, and that's always sad for me. I am excited to see where they go after that last episode. I'm wondering whether it's going to be a continuation, what they're going to do with the mythos that they've created. Um, I, I anticipate a lot of people being mad on the internet because fandom, right? <laughs> um, but you know, I'm just really, it, it could honestly, it could be slop on a plate and I would still be excited because it's been so long since we've seen, seen new Doctor Who. Yeah. And I don't think it will be. I think, you know, Chibnall has very strong ideas about his Doctor Who and I'm really curious as to where, where it's going to go because we had such, on Verity, we kind of all had the same reaction to season, you know, his first season, which, you know, it was good. It felt a little restrained. It felt like he still had training wheels on while his second season, you know, he threw away the, the training wheels and jumped on a you know motorcycle and it was all, you know, it just was roaring and the stories were so much more daring. So I'm, I'm really curious as to what the tone of this is going to be and where he's going to go after that huge bombshell that ended his second run second series um but daleks i gotta tell you daleks aren't my favorite (laughs) so that's the only bummer i'm just i you know i have like dalek fatigue so we'll see maybe this maybe this will will snap me out of it i think the cybermen are much more interesting me too me too and and i but i like the new look of these new daleks they look pretty cool yeah, you know, they've got a little polish to them, don't they? But they're still a Dalek. Yeah, they seem to do the same thing all the time. Right? You know, there's only so much you can do. All right. Unless you want to crack them open or, or you know, do a the, the pig thing Dalek. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. No. So you don't want to mess with them too much, I guess. I'm curious to see what the new scene is that they added this year, if we even notice what it is. And um, yeah. I'm also looking forward to see uh, Captain Jack back in action. Um I, I am too, you know, as somebody who's, you know, the Night Doctor is still has such a special place in my heart because it was my first Doctor, that whole first season is just magical to me. So it felt a little bit like a cheat having him back, you know, last year and then not really doing anything with it. It yeah. was really kind of disappointing. So I hope it fleshes that out. I'm kind of excited yeah. about that. You know, as long as the writing is good, I'm okay with anything really. I, I just... I wasn't a big fan of the whole Timeless Children thing, so I'm hoping they sort of walk that back a little bit. I don't know. I will say, it's, it, that was big. Like, I don't yeah. know, do you just ignore it? Do you lean into it? Like, I'm fascinated. Like, what, what's it going to do with that? All right. Drew, what about you? Well, um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure. I, I've, I haven't watched the trailer. I haven't read anything about the, the New Year's episode. I just want to kind of go into it um, – trying to just come in like a blank slate um because going back and watching these christmas episodes this month i realized something that i haven't really been enjoying doctor who as much as i I did when it was Tennant and smith and i think there's just a a level of joy that was missing um i mean i loved capaldi and I'd, there's some of the best stories that i've ever seen but as soon as Matt Smith comes on the screen, I get really excited and possibly just because that's the doctor I relate to most, but there's an unpredictability 
going into this upcoming season and New Year's special that I'm actually quite excited about because I have no concept of what's going to happen mm-hmm. because they really have, just like you said, I mean, they, they've they thrown away the training wheels. Really, they could do anything. Um, and, and maybe Chibnall will do that. Um, and maybe we'll like it and maybe we won't. Um, but that's the beauty of the show. You know, when you're dealing with time travel and alternate dimensions and all of that stuff, someone creative can come by and, and, and rewrite something or come up with future story plots and, you know, level things out. But like for for now, I'm I'm just kind of I'm trying to remain childlike. You know, I'm trying mm-hmm. to imagine what it would be like to watch this show as a kid who doesn't have X number of years uh, of experience with the program behind them to kind of color that those expectations so i don't know i'm i'm just excited to have dr and it feels like it's been so long but we had an entire season this year right like it's it's the weird i'm trying and and i'm trying to go back and rewatch it before new year's and i'm failing miserably um uh i i'm five episodes in and i did skip um orphan 55 um but I, I can't really bring myself to watch the entirety of it. I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I might just watch like the like the last two or three episodes in preparation for it. No, our, the Timeless Children was March of this yeah. year. Yeah, like, of that this seems year, like a million years ago. Yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. I, and how do you guys feel about the specials not being Christmas specials anymore? Because we haven't had a Christmas special, like a, a proper Christmas story, since. I don't know, twice upon a time, I right? Guess twice upon a time, yeah. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, that was a Christmas day, and you know, don't get me wrong. Scheduling purpose wise, I love not having a Christmas day story because that was always <laughs> really difficult to try to record. Um, but and I, I guess you know, it does feel more inclusive not having something centered around that holiday. But on the other hand, the Christmas stories were a little magical. They had a little magic to them. Does your family watch Doctor Who with you? Would they sit down and watch a Christmas special? Some with of you? them will. Like my children have gone in and out of the fandom. Like when they were younger, they were they were all really into it. They all watched it. I had one rage quit after um, Matt Smith left, and she just like she's done. Like that's her doctor. Doctor who's over. It had a good run. It's so sad that it died. Um, and that's my youngest. That was her doctor. Uh, and. <laughs> My oldest says, I, I accidentally spoiled him for a Christmas episode he didn't watch, and he's never watched it since, and I don't remember which one that was. Um, I guess my younger son is is the, probably the one who's the most interested. And my, my older daughter actually came back when um, when uh, we got the 13th Doctor, because she was like really excited that you know we're having a woman doctor. That really excited her, and she, and she started watching it then. Um, but as far as sitting down and watching it, you know, it depends who wanders through. It's not it's not an event for them like it is for me. Sure. So it's not like you – and that's the thing is I imagine that if I had a family that would be willing to sit down on Christmas Day and watch it, then it would feel more like, like, a, like a gift, you know, sort yeah. of like a, a – and that would be cool. But I have watched every Christmas special – huddled over a computer in the dark after everyone else has gone to sleep on Christmas mm. night um, as I, I either watch it on BBC America or I, I you know, get it on iTunes. Um, and so it's it, it doesn't hold that kind of place for me. Um, I'm fine with it because I'm not much of a partier. So I'm, you know, 
uh, for Christmas Eve, it doesn't, or uh, New Year's Eve, it doesn't <clears throat> spoil the the beginning of the. And but the only thing is, I think uh, it doesn't come out until the second on iTunes. Right. So if yeah. I don't have it, if I can't watch it, it's it's usually the next day, uh, and that's fine because this year uh, the second is on a Saturday, so I'll actually be able to watch it proper. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll you know I'll get up and make myself. A, I mean. Who am I kidding? I'm probably going to ask somebody to send me a copy online. <laughs> um, because if if 2020 has has done anything, it has completely ruined people uh, who used to be good about spoilers uh, between The Mandalorian and Doctor Who and mm-hmm. God only knows what else. People just have given up on, on being genteel about what they, they post. Um, well, even Wonder Woman this week. Yeah. 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 That's true. Bake Off. Spoiled Bake Off for oh, me. I got Bake Off spoiled too. I was that really was bummed real, about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I, I, I feel like the getting to it before that happens is is pretty important. So we'll we'll see. But it would be really nice to be able to. I just miss watching Doctor Who with a group of people. That was one of the things I loved. Um, and I think that's part of maybe why I'm, I've not been as warm to it is, is moving to a new place where I just don't have as familiar a group to, to watch with. I love watching Doctor Who with friends. That's, oh my gosh, I it's so much more. hate ex- it. You do. Oh I my gosh. hate it. Because then people want to talk and stuff. Like, no. Oh, you sorry. I meant don't. friends who are also fans. Okay. Because, you know, the, fir- the the rule is you only talk during commercials because I watch BBC America the day it comes out, um, you know, just to have that experience with everybody else. You know, it's usually sitting in my inbox a little earlier, but sh- Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'll watch them. It, but you don't talk. And like my family will ask questions and then I have to kick them out of the room and then there's hard feelings. It's Christmas and, uh, but you know, you just, uh, you're watching so intently and you want to catch every little thing that first viewing. And if you have somebody that, you know, they think they're a fan, but you know, you know, and there's degrees, right. Mm -hmm. And they're in there and they're like, Oh, I don't remember this plot point. You just, you know, want to jump across the room and beat them with your, I don't know, Hickory Farm meat stick that you have out on your charcuterie board. It's just, yeah. You have I, much fancier Doctor Who watching parties than I do. Yeah, <laughs> snap them with a Slim Jim. That's right. That Kahuna cheese ball right up the nose. Come on, you just can't do this. Listen, some of my favorite Doctor Who watching memories are, are watching the shows at conventions with, like, Either in a, you know, 10 people in a hotel room or uh, 300 people in a ballroom. And maybe it's just because every, I I knew I was going to have to go back and watch the episode again. Uh, But just having all of the, knowing that every single person in that room loves what you Mm -hmm. love, uh, at least up until it's the point that they talk about it online. um, There's something really nice about that. And that's, I don't know. I, I do feel have like to. Online I do have fandom to, has been bitter recently. So. Yeah, I do have to say one of my very favorite viewing experiences was was it Face the Raven that had Clara listed first? Yes. Okay. I was at Li Who that year, and we were watching like a downloaded copy in the hotel room. But then I had to go on a panel, and I had to run out. I didn't get a chance to see it, so I popped into the main 
but I didn't see the end of it, but I knew how the beginning of it was. So they were showing it in the main ballroom on BBC America at the proper time. And I just stood outside the ballroom so I could hear everybody's reaction to that opening <laughs> shot. And it was so great. Like that part was so great. Yeah, we I was there. I was over for that hotel for that one. Yeah. Now, what was the one that they showed at Galley this year? Um, oh, I wasn't there for that one. Yeah, this year I'm looking at the oh the haunting of Villa Diodata. Like I couldn't understand a darn thing. You're in this like massive ballroom, and sure it's cool watching with people, but I you, know, you couldn't hear the dialogue. You couldn't. It it just it was not a great feeling. It was a communal experience, but it wasn't like I immediately had to go back to the hotel room and watch it so I could actually hear what everybody was saying. Well, part of it too is since I've become a podcaster. Um, watching it feels like, well, I have to watch it the one time to get the initial reaction. Then I need to watch it three more times before I go onto the podcast to review it because I want to make sure that I'm representing, you know, my thoughts. Like, becoming once I became a podcaster, it really has changed w- how I interact with the program, and I've been trying to step away from that. But mm-hmm. I mean, do you find that that's sort of been the same for you? But you know, it's interesting because you know, I mean, Verity. We can be pretty critical of things, but it all comes from a place of love and joy, right? Like we all right. love this show. It's very rare that you will hear an episode where we all dislike something. Right. Um, it happens on occasion, but it's pretty unusual. And and we, we've been doing theme years since we started. I don't know why. It's crazy. It's a crazy idea. I don't know why we started it, but now we're stuck with it eight years in. Right, right, and right, right. last year during our meetup at Galley, we were talking about um, how we podcast like right after we watch something. And often those were so high because there was like a new Doctor Who episode. Like we can only think about the things that we love about it. So we mm-hmm. all tend to be a little more effusive and gushing. But then when you have time to rewatch it and, and actually, you know, critically think about something, um, you know, we might have different opinions. And we actually had an audience member saying like, you guys should do like, go back and review those episodes, um, which became our high, you know, hindsight is 2020 was our theme last right, year. Right. So we would go back and watch things to see if our reaction had changed because we have all found we cannot be critical for that first viewing. Um, you know, we might pick out a thing here or there, but usually it's just a bunch of flailing and wailing because, you know, Doctor <laughs> Who is back. And that's good. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I do think, you know, we recognize that this is <laughs> that this is this is a verity thing. Um, and you just kind of, you know, you kind of... Um, you just have to deal with it. Like it, it's like sleep no more, right? I went to the viewing in New York that that Mark Gatiss hosted at the Film Museum in Brooklyn, and we all sat there and watched it. And then you know, Mark Gatiss came out and was talking about it, and it was like a week before it aired because the week that it did air was um, Li Who, right? And this was the week before, and. You know, we were all just, frankly, I have a huge Mark Gatiss, like, size hole in my heart. Um, And I I just, it was like looking into the, you know, to the teeth of the sun, like sitting there being in his presence, talking about his episode. And I was a friend of mine with me, and it was about an hour and a half drive to get home that night. And I was about 45 minutes into the drive home, and I turned around to my friend Nikki, and I was like, what the hell did we just watch? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what was that? 
<laughs> but it, like, it took that long to be because I was surrounded by, you know, the New York fangirl crew and Joy Piedmont was there. Like it was like this whole big group of people were just like, ah. And then we recorded our episode. I actually recorded with Erica the next week um, at LI Who to put out our Verity. That was, you know, our live recording. And I think we were a little bit more critical on that one. But I remember distinctly that reaction. It's like the fog lifted, you know, <laughs> like the, the drugs were washed from your brain. And it's like, what was that? Like, what did we just see? It so. it's, wasn't just you. I just want to say it wasn't just you. <laughs> right. I guess it, I guess it uh, wasn't. I watched that episode, um, you know, you, I think you had mentioned that you had seen it already at LA. And, uh, you know, like, well, did you like it? I'm, I'm going to let you form your own opinion, I think, is <laughs> yes. what you, you said. And we watch it. I'm like, man, I think I, you know, this huge audience, you know, I think they had the, um, did they have the BBC America? And then they had another one where it was like commercial. Fr- no, it was, it was comment and comment free where you could watch right. it. People were allowed to talk and people weren't allowed to talk. And of course that got blown out the water. Everyone talked, but I got out of that going, you know, I don't think I understand a word anyone said. But I think I actually kind of liked it. And then we did a panel about it. And as we were discussing it in the panel, you could just see the opinion dropping and <laughs> dropping and people going, wait, it, did they really just say that? Well, wait, what about? Oh, I, oh. But you yeah. know what? That's that's for a different time. I, I You mentioned Verdi's celebrated its eighth anniversary. And that was recently, right? Wasn't the, the Snowman your first? The Snowman was our for, very first. Uh, recording, yeah, I and mean, we had like a little teaser ahead of that where we talked about uh, what yeah. we we're going to do. But the Snowman was the very first episode that we watched and reviewed. So I remember. So uh, I I was introduced to before I met you in person. Uh, I had read your um, uh, the chicks did Time Lords, and uh, when I found out that you were doing a podcast, remember like the kind of this buzz on on all the different uh, other Doctor Who podcasts in, in kind of that group. And I remember distinctly listening to the first episode. I had just gotten this new job at the science center. And on that day, they needed me to paint a boat in the children's play area. And so like, that was, that's like, this is intrinsically linked your response to the snowmen while painting the ship. Oh my God. <laughs> like that's, every time I hear the snowmen and I think of you, like that's like, like those, those three things kind of go together for me. It's but, built into the DNA of the boat now. Yeah. But let's let's talk about this. Eight years. You just celebrated your eighth anniversary. You've been doing this for eight years. How does that feel? It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like we've been doing it that long to be. I mean, we've put out an episode a week for eight years. Like, and I look back at the body of that. That is a tremendous amount of work. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, but it doesn't feel like it. It really. It just feels like we started yesterday. Um, it is such a mood lifter for me. Like we're still put, you know, we still put out content and, and we still have a mission and we still have, you know, goals and things we want to do. But honestly, this is my excuse to get together to talk with five of my favorite people. <laughs> and, and I don't, you know, I don't get to talk to each of them every single week, but you know, I, through the course of the year, I get to sit down and have a conversation with friends about something that we both mutually love. So, um, we call it Verity Therapy. You could be having a crappy day. Things could just not be going great. And you get on there and you have a little pre-show chat. And then, you know, we have post-show chat. Uh, and you just, you know, you just walk away and you feel better about life and the world and yourself. And um, 
so it's as much for us as it is for for the listeners but we do have amazing loyal listeners who have been with us from the beginning uh who are engaged and fun and you know we just appreciate everything that they have done and the people that you know come to our panels and and support the various outpouring of work that the other verities you know we all do so um it's eight years. That's a really long time. <laughs> if it were a child, it would be like an elementary school right now. I know. That's kind of, yeah, because we're about to, this is the end of our fourth season. We're about to start year five. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like, where did time go? Where yeah. does time go? That's yeah. amazing. And we're doing it monthly. So, mm-hmm. Well, we made, we made a decision this year in that we're no longer going to be numbering our episodes. This was huge. This was a big giant conversation you know that went back and forth because while we say you know welcome to episode blah 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 verity we're like why are we doing this and we started doing it because we were like modeling ourselves off of other podcasts and you know radio free scarrow was doing that and of course you know that was the the podcast that we most admired at the time we're like well we're just gonna snag that um and we and it, it could get very complicated because it meant we're recording things out of order and, uh, you know, we're trying to batch record things so people had vacations and whatnot. So um, we and of course, we have numbered episodes and we have extra episodes, which is also bonkers. So we, you know, we say <laughs> we're you know, we're on episode you know, 249, but we've actually recorded twice as many episodes <laughs> as that. So we just realized the numbers were kind of dumb. You know, the things you learn even eight years in. Right. Um, so starting starting in 2021 we will no longer be announcing numbers on our podcast spoiler <laughs> well we love cool. the we love the quizzes and we love the uh what's making us happy segments oh uh, yeah it's completely did... stolen from uh pop culture happy hour by the way that's what i was going to ask where did those ideas come from so the games started coming from, you know, we, we built this idea of the extras into the podcast so we wouldn't have to have, we could just do fun things or we could bring really personal things in, you know, if somebody wanted to talk about um, something that maybe wasn't long enough to have like a full episode. So if somebody wanted to talk about comics or somebody wanted to talk about costuming or something, cosplay, you know, we'd have these little extra episodes and they're supposed to be a half hour. That's the goal. They're, they rarely are a half hour. They usually turn into a full episode length. Um, but we wanted to give ourselves that flexibility because we did have a theme. You know, we, we had a topic that we wanted to cover and we wanted to have these thematic discussions. So that's how the extra thing came in. The games came in when we ran out of things to talk about one time. <laughs> and we're like, well, let's just play trivia or do something fun. And then we started coming up with all sorts of, you know, kind of fun games to, we just thought were entertaining, but they also gave us a, a point of discussion. Like and we just finished, uh, you know, I think our last episode that came out right before Christmas was, you know, we did a sudden death match for all the Christmas episodes and it gave everybody a chance to kind of talk about what they liked about the Christmas episodes, what they did. And so, it's, you know, it's a fun way to still talk about Doctor Who, but, you know, just make it a little bit lighter. Uh, we like to call them our no prep episodes. So we pull out a game <laughs> when people are really, their real lives are super busy and they don't have time to sit down and watch two or three episodes and have, you know, take notes and have a serious conversation. We'll throw one of those episodes in, but people like them and we have such a good time doing them. Um, my lunch break this morning was listening to 
three of you talk about you monster you uh i particularly <laughs> like the cuddle mary ignore <laughs> segment yeah that's the that's the g-rated g-rated version yeah. of that game um and that came up i was talking to a friend of mine and we we're like you know we got to come up with some extra ideas and and we just start thinking about the most monstrous things <laughs> doctor who that you know what hard choices we'd have to make so that's how that one came about but yeah, the happy things thing was it just gave us a chance to talk about something. Um, it, it, again, we are a podcast that we love Doctor Who. We know it's not perfect. We're not afraid to point out its flaws. But ultimately, we want a sense of positivity about the podcast. And that's kind of where the happy things came in. And we stole that directly from Pop Culture. I mean, that was not even, no front. I mean, it was just straight from the Pop Culture Happy Hour. <laughs> Well, Deb, whenever we invite a guest on, because we're talking about, you know, Doctor Who, you always want to talk about, you know, things that you, you take from other people, because we know that there's other things in your life, right? Like, Sure is. So when we have a guest on, we say, hey, we know that Doctor Who is not the end all and be all of your fandom. Sure, you've committed eight years of your life to podcasting about it, but, you know, let's talk about something else. So what television show uh, have you brought for us this month and, and why? All right. I'm still laughing about this. I can't believe I'm putting this one I'm forth. S- can I just tell you how happy I am with this decision? Like how excited <laughs> this made me? <laughs> I'm really, really glad because honestly, you know, I'm looking back and I'm thinking, you know, okay, I could talk about like my go-to movie that I never, ever turn off, which is Red, by the way, uh, with Bruce Willis. Um because Heather, uh, Helen Mirren in that is just perfection. You know, we could have that conversation or I could talk about, you know, some sort of prestige TV that I'm, you know, have watched. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to lie because this has been a really horrible, horrible few months. And I have no attention span. And I'm sure I'm not the only one out there, right? You know, everybody's like, oh, I'm going to catch up on my reading and finally get to war and peace. You know, I I don't, I, I, I can't, I just can't. I find myself getting really upset because, you know, I pick up a book and I can't read it like a chapter in and my attention's wandering or I cannot tell you how many television series that I have started and got one or two episodes in and just have not been able to continue. So I started thinking about like, well, I have, you know, I do sit down and watch TV. So what is it that I am kind of gravitating to and I am, I'm not joking. This is the God's honest truth. It is the house hunters, the house hunters and lakefront home and beachfront home and, and, you know, beachfront paradise. Like there's a whole plethora, there's a whole industry around buying a home someplace. And it is just, it is just the right amount of time, the right amount of attention that you need to pay for it. They're all disgustingly similar. So there's a sense of comfort there. But, and, and as podcasters, and I'm sure you guys know, once you start watching television critically to have a discussion, you watch television differently, period. Like, yeah. it's really hard for me because I've been doing this for such a long time not only the podcast, but the writing and everything else, which started way before the podcast. Like I can't just, it's hard for me to sit down and just turn on television and have it be a mindless watch. You know what I mean? Like I'm always like looking at it and trying to, what's the theme of this? What are they trying to do? What's the plot point? You know, who was the writer on this? What's the direction? Look at that lighting. Isn't that amazing? 
like it's a ruined television. I always say that Joss Whedon ruined television for me. Um, <laughs> but there's House Hunters, right? And there's always <laughs> one on somewhere on some channel. If it's not House Hunters, it's something. It's it's that kind of a show. And it's like you can just kind of sit there and for a very pleasant, you know, 24 minutes or so, just kind of lose yourself. <laughs> That's honestly, that is what's gotten me through this pandemic is watching other people buy things. Well, when did you start watching? When? How did you find out about it? I mean, it's been on forever, hasn't it? I mean, have you ever not watched House Hunters? <laughs> like, it's, just always, <laughs> it's always one of those things that's always been there, right? Um, oh, gosh, probably. I don't know. It's been years. I mean, I don't ever remember a time where House Hunters wasn't something that you kind of flipped onto. Probably, you know, in the beginning when the shows were first starting and it was kind of new and exciting and everybody was talking about it. You know, you made a point of watching it. Okay, I'm going to record this or something. And now, like, we just, you can always find it on demand someplace. <laughs> um, it was never a show that I, I said, oh, geez, I'm a real House Hunter fan. I can't wait to go and watch it. It just, again, it's always been background noise, but now it's a very comforting background noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like McDonald's. Like, you know, it's not good for you and you know, it's not the most <laughs> nutritional thing that you could be putting into your body, but sometimes you just want a nug and it makes you happy. Kind of a guilty I, I, pleasure, I guess. Yeah, well, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I think you just have pleasures. Like, I think you should own it. You know what I mean? Like, don't let anybody make you feel guilty about anything. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it definitely would fall. If I believed in guilty pleasures, it would fall into that category. I would would like to read a quote, if I may. Um, So whenever we we have a show on, I, I, I... I always want to do some background research, especially if it's a show I'm not familiar mm-hmm. with. And while I had, I have watched iterations of House Hunters, I had never watched House Hunters until recently. Um, but I, I went onto Wikipedia and I went in and I, I, I love this quote. So HGTV is said to have referred to itself as, quote, shelter TV, not only because it deals with homes, but also because, according to a professor of cinematic studies, quote, it feels like you can protect yourself from other things going on in the world, end quote. And I'm like, I get it. As soon as I read that, I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, and we were watching it last night. Just, you know, I, I've been trying to... YouTube's got a thousand episodes because mm-hmm. there's 10,000 episodes of... I mean, like, there's literally more than 1,500 episodes of this show because I think they, they record something like 400 a season, um, just the 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 um how they make the kind of the gears of this, mm-hmm. like how it actually gets made, is fascinating because I had a preconceived notion because I, I will say this I have watched all of Fixer Upper, mm-hmm. um you know I love me some Chip and JoJo, uh but they have a very uh regular format because it's always them and they're always doing something and you know whenever this starts to happen you're gonna see the three houses and so on and so forth. What I wasn't expecting from House Hunters is it's just a camera crew going in and and a narrator kind of explaining what's happening. Very different format. Uh, and that must be so easy for them to put together. This show takes zero effort, I think, uh, to to get filmed because they just send a camera crew to someone who's thinking about buying a home and right. they're willing to be filmed doing it. 
Like, and I know there's all sorts of things like people have said, well, you know, the home, they've already purchased the home and they're just going through the motions or you can always tell which home they're going to pick because there's no furniture. Like, I don't care. Like, it's not that deep, right? <laughs> like, I'm just watching it because, A, I love looking at other people's houses. I mean, I just do. I love architecture. I love homemaking in all different ways. I love coziness. So it's always interesting to me to look at other people's houses. I mean, that's a basic thing, right? And there's a sense of, <laughs> and you can kind of see trends over the course of the years you've been watching the show. Like, you know, people are going to walk in like, oh, I hate carpet. Oh, look at the granite. You know, it's, I have to have granite countertop and it has to be stainless steel appliances, right? So there's always this sense of, of sameness. It doesn't matter where in the country. It doesn't matter who the couples are. Like there's certain things that seem like they're always going to happen in every episode. And, and that, delights me in a very human way that we're that we may be so different in so many ways and have different goals and different beliefs but gosh darn it we all went stainless steel appliances so there's this <laughs> common ground right you can find some common ground in humanity in this country so are you pro or con with open floor plans oh gosh you know something <sighs> aesthetically i like them Practically, I don't because if you have a non-designer family, um, like most of us do, and you have children, um, there's rooms of your houses that can that can never be spotless and tidy. Usually for me, mm -hmm. it was always the kitchen. It was a combination of there's somebody always cooking something. There was somebody always eating something. There was always somebody doing something at the kitchen table. Yeah, I don't always want to look at that. You know, I sometimes <laughs> I want to walk out of that room and I want to walk into a room that doesn't have that. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's the downside of an open concept. I do appreciate it. I do hate cathedral ceilings with a passion. I think they're loud and they're cold and, um, I think they're a waste of space, and I it bothers me from a uh, energy efficiency point of view to have a cathedral ah. ceiling. But open concepts, I can see where people would enjoy them, perhaps if they have a tidier family than mine was growing up. I watched one last night where they had both an open floor plan and a cathedral ceiling, Lord. and <laughs> it, it, they, if you looked at the total square footage of the house you only lived in 10% of it right. because the rest of it was above your head. Yeah, and it was, it was one of those of things. Yeah. I, I, the, I, I referred to it as a Christmas tree ceiling mm -hmm. because the only way you could really justify that is if you had a 20 foot tree in your home year round and it was gorgeous or and you it, were, a, I have four children. I'd have to live in with earplugs in like the noise oh. level would just have been oh, yeah. appalling. Yeah, like I, I, I'm fascinated with homes, and this is just something I've been interested in my whole life. But I'm fascinated with how we have moved away from practical homes, and I don't mean practical and stodgy and boring, but we've definitely moved into an era of form over function because mm. of the. We're so fortunate to live in an age where you have heat at the touch of a button and air conditioning at the touch of a button. So like, you know, you look at old Southern homes where they were designed to be cool. They were placed so you would not have um, issues. You know, you'd have 
good airflow. You'd have giant windows so you could capture the air and capture the breezes and they were lifted up so you could get that air circulation under the home. They weren't design elements. They weren't there because they looked cool. They were there because they served a very practical purpose. And we've kind of moved away from that style of architecture because we don't need to have those things anymore because we live in such a climate controlled world. So when I look at it's interesting to me to look at architecture all over the country because the houses are very different in different parts of the world. So I think that for me is part of the appeal of why I find this show so fascinating because it gives me a chance to be an armchair traveler in a way that I never would be able to do. Even if I travel to New Mexico, I wouldn't look inside somebody's home. Chances are I'd be in a hotel or I would be, you know, in a resort or, um, you know, I wouldn't be in somebody's family home. So to look at how people live to me has always been fascinating. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen this show before. I'm sure I've heard of it, but uh, the first thing that struck me was just the overwhelming amount of episodes. Like I'm, <laughs> IMDb says over 2,400 episodes uh, since 99, and it's still going. They just started their new season today as we record yeah, this. Drew's like, do you want to watch a particular episode? I'm like, no, they're all the same. <laughs> yeah, they're all the same. But, but to prepare, I watched the very first episode, and mm-hmm. then I watched one that came on last week, I think. And uh, it's a very big difference, but also the same. Also the <laughs> same, right? Also the same, yeah. I, I kind of get what you're saying about how maybe it's a little staged now, maybe. Mm-hmm. And not that that matters, but you could kind of tell in the very first episode that they're just following these people around and they're just showing them wanting to buy a house. And then the new ones, they're like arguing the whole time and... <laughs> yeah, there's always, you know, and that's, I, and I don't like that part of it. But, you know, there's also something, there's sort of a little bit of guilty pleasure in that in looking at, you know, how awful some people can be. And you're thinking, well, at least I'm not like that. Or, um, <laughs> you know, how awful some people's tastes are it kind of gives you this, you know, this little sense of, okay, well, you know, things might be bad, but at least, you know, I'm not buying that house sort of thing. Um but yeah, and, and have you guys had a chance to look at any of the other versions of this? Because there's so many out there. I mean, dep- you pick, pick a flavor. Like, what are you in the mood for? Do you want to buy, like, there's a log cabin version of people buying log cabins or lakeside versions of people just who want to buy houses by lakes. And it's, there's ones in all different countries. There's ones that are simply set in Mexico. You can buy a house in Mexico or in the Caribbean. Like, it doesn't wow. matter. what Whatever you're in the mood for, there is a house hunter type show for that that gives you that experience. So, Have you ever watched, um, I don't know if it's a, a part of the same company, but there's one, and I think it's on Netflix, called Escape to the Country. It's a UK show where big city people yes, want to get a country. That. And what's fascinating to me about the show is we watched five seasons of it probably. And maybe three people bought the house they were shown. Um, <laughs> so unlike the American one where they've, they're already in escrow to, to buy one of those three homes before they started filming. So, you know, cause otherwise you don't have a show, right? This, they show three shows and they go, well, what do you think? Well, uh, we'll have to think about it. And then the end show always ends with, well, they talked to their bankers and their bankers have informed them that they can't afford it. Or, you know, it's like, <laughs> well, they're going to have to wait for the next season to see if they can bring the sheep out. And like, we finally watched one where they bought it and we were just dumbstruck. 
we couldn't believe what we were seeing. Like, this this is what the show is supposed to be. Well, I remember watching that very early on, and they bought one, but they didn't tell you which one they bought for reasons of privacy. And I'm like, I just felt <laughs> so cheated. Like, I have emotionally invested in this journey, and you are not going to let me have my moment of glory in knowing which house that you're picking? Like, this is wrong. I just, I backed up. We broke up. I just, I'm done. I'm just not doing it anymore. <laughs> Have you ever seen one of these episodes in your hometown or know anybody that's been on it? I don't know anybody that's been on it. I have seen, there's been quite a few set in Philadelphia area, which is always thrilling because they make everything seem, you know, it's like with everything. They make everything seem like it's right next door. And we're like, wait a second. They're not Philadelphia anymore. They're like in the Philadelphia suburbs 40 minutes away. Um so that kind of thing is fun. I remember when Deb Poet Society was filmed, we had the same experience because I grew up in Delaware and Deb Poet Society was filmed in Delaware. My brother was actually an extra in one of the cafeteria scenes that got cut. But watching, um, you know, watching them pedal from getting on the bike and go from the school to like the headmaster's house or something living in that area, you realize that was 60 miles away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, watching house hunters set somewhat locally is a very similar experience. You know, they're like, Oh, they want to be in downtown Philadelphia. And I'm like, dude, you're in Jenkintown. That's nowhere near Philadelphia, but sure. That's fine. You can call it what you like. Brent, I watched one the other night set in Raleigh. Really? Yeah. I don't know if it was House Hunters, but I've seen one that was set in Raleigh also. Yeah. And Carrie. I saw one in Carrie once too. Oh wow. Wow. That one was that was a fancy one. Well so okay, here's the thing. Where do these people get the you know, like well, you get four hundred and fifty thousand dollars to buy a house? <laughs> what do you people do for a living? That's what my <laughs> right, my, you... my youngest daughter says. <laughs> what did she say tonight? She goes, What I don't get is she have these people on there and she's like, She's a snail painter, he's a stay at home astronaut. <laughs> Their budget is one point seven million dollars. And I'm like, it's true. Like you wonder, like sometimes they have the most bizarre careers, which is always fun. It's like, what do they do? That's always my question. Like, what do they do? And then looking at real estate prices around the country is another fascinating thing, right? So Mm. you're sitting there, you know, in your house and we're like, yeah, we're looking at a five bedroom house with a pool and a media room on three acres with a horse barn. But, you know, our budget's only $350,000, you know, but they're in East Bofunk, Texas, you know. So, and you're thinking, oh my God, you know, that's like a $5 million house where I live. Where, where right. can I, when can I move there and buy this beautiful home? So, uh, yeah, that's like, I want to know what their budget is. I want to know what they do for a living. And I want to know, um, I want to know where they're moving to and like what the property values are because they vary so differently across the country. There's an RV version of the show. Do you know that? Like people going and There's a houseboat RVs. version. Yes. There's a houseboat. <laughs> houseboat. There's probably a thousand episodes of the houseboat version. There's probably not that many houseboats out there. I have there. never seen the houseboat one. Now I got to go watch. I have seen the, I've seen a lot of the RV ones because my sister just bought an RV this year. So we started watching it like, oh, I wonder what she's going to get. And all of a sudden we're hooked. We're never buying an RV. I'm not camping. Are you crazy? <laughs> but I love watching the show because everybody does the same thing everybody pulls that bed out that's the dining room and they pull the bed out and they lay on it (laughs) and they're like well (laughs) is it comfortable do you fit every single one of them in every single rv it's like a bingo card that's just center square right there 
Bingo card or drinking game? I mean, you could you could probably in fact that it's a twenty minute game uh, show too. It'd probably be pretty handy. Like I'm just trying to think of how you would put together a drinking game for this show. Um, but see I mean, what I'm talking about. Especially if you really want to drink. You know, you you can you can kind of disrespect it. You can kind of love it. It's always the same. Like the I'm sorry, my dog is going crazy. There's a fox in my backyard right now. So I apologize to all of your listeners if you hear I'm my jealous dog in the backyard. You got a fox in the backyard. That's oh awesome. God, I like live in a Disney movie. Um, <laughs> between the fox and the deer, the dog's going crazy. Um, so yeah. So but it's like there's a comforting sense of sameness about all these shows. Mm. You know what you're going to get every single time. And how relaxing is that? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a thing. Three episodes in, my wife and I just found ourselves just cruelly mocking the couple. Um, uh, just kind of yelling at the show and laughing hysterically. And we didn't even like re- realize that we were doing it until we were both very loud. But it feels like the kind of show where you have the permission to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no there's no rules in watching House Hunters. These people had a, a cougar nook. Like, on their mantelpiece <laughs> was a depressed area, just the size of a frame, and you could have put anything there, right? You know, respected family members, maybe an American flag. There was a three-dimensional cougar sculpture that they put in there that um, was a little bit mind-boggling. They're like, they've got a cougar nook. Should should we have a cougar nook? Should, could, you know, we've, we're, I'm now really concerned that maybe we're not as trendy as we should be because we don't have a, a small depression above our fireplace where we could put cougar statuary. So, you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's that. I am question, I'm curious about the, um, the money aspect of it because we talk about these people with these ridiculous budgets, but do you find it more entertaining to see the folks who have these huge budgets, like these big homes or, uh, do you find that you, the, the folks who are kind of, you know, first home buyers who have a, a modest budget and they're really trying to figure out what, what they can get, you know, like what, what do you find more compelling? Like the extravagance of it or the yeah, uh, logistics of it? I think when we get into, because I'm talking about the, the whole ouvoir at this point, right? sure, sure. the whole hunter Please. ouvoir, when we talk about something that is more specialized, like the lakefront homes or the beachfront homes, like I like seeing the big budget ones because that is never happening for me, right? right? And it's always, it gives me a peek into the houses that I just get to drive by when I'm on vacation going to my much more modest vacation home. Um, so those I enjoy. When it comes to, you know, house hunter proper, I do enjoy sort of the middle of the road ones because there's they're real people making real decisions and trying to fit their dream into this box basically Mm -hmm. and not only their dream but their needs so i have noticed that it has become you know we're starting to see some more same-sex couples starting to be a little bit more blended families you know um so when i find something that's a little bit out of the ordinary other than you know just the snail painter and the stay-at-home astronaut looking for their dream home um I find those to be more interesting because they feel more real. They don't feel as I have a big budget and I'm going to get on this television show where sometimes with house hunters, it feels that way. 
um, and they feel very performative, like they're they're playing for the camera. Where I think the people that have a smaller budget, you know, you can tell they're they're really working it, and that that feels to me something much more relatable. Not that I'm ever moving again, like I'm done, like I'm I'm in my house, I'm never doing this ever again. But I remember that it feels very real to me. I remember looking at a house, you know, what was our budget? What can, what would our mortgage be? Where can we fit this? What are the things that we most absolutely have to have? What are our priorities? What can we do without? What are the negotiations we have to make? Um, and that's probably as deep as house hunters gets. You know, that's, <laughs> that's like, that's the most, uh, I think the most thought that goes into it is watching that negotiation. And the ones, I don't find the ones where the people are sniping at each other enjoyable. Sometimes you just get really, unple- you get one person who's really unpleasant. Yeah. Um, and I don't enjoy those. I mean, even sometimes, you know, they're fun to mock, but, uh, you know, I, I like the people that are, uh, that are genuinely nice. You know what I mean? Um, that's something else the pandemic has brought out in me. Like I just, I have lost all taste for, you know, sort of sarcasm and nastiness. Like if I see genuine kindness or people really working together and, and it, it makes a much more enjoyable experience. Well, you're talking about buying a home. Was that during House Hunters? Have you purchased a home since you've been watching this? I don't know. I don't think I started watching House Hunters. Or when did it come on? 99? No, we were in our home before then. But um, I don't really remember watching it until after we were in the house that we're in now. I probably would. Um, I do remember watching HGTV, however, because... What we had to do, I remember being like really annoyed when we were selling our first home, the home that I, that we bought when I got married and we outgrew that and moved into a larger home. And I just remember like being really mad at HTV because all of a sudden you had to stage things, right? You couldn't just show your home. <laughs> you had to stage things. And our realtor was my husband's cousin and she sat down and had a very frank conversation. She said, when you have a showing, you need to get all of your trash cans out of your house. Like you can't have a trash can in your bathroom and you can't have any dishes. Like you can't have a dish drainer on your counter. You have to remove a lot of the personal things because people don't want to see your house as you live in it. They want to see your house as they would be living in it. So, and that was all thanks to HGTV and all those home improvement shows and everything where before, you know, you just walked in, you looked at a house and said, okay, I like this. It works for me. It doesn't work for me. But all of a sudden now it had to be like a show house. And that wasn't just high end houses. You know, that was my little tiny craftsman bungalow that we were trying to sell. So I don't remember watching House Hunters in particular, but I do remember the HGTV effect on our home selling experience. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. You can't just sell a house now. Like it has to be, this is why staging, like there's people that do this for a living. Like they will come into your house and they will stage your house for a showing and for, for being yeah. on for sale. They'll replace your furniture. They'll come in and they'll, you know, redecorate your entire house just so it looks better. Yeah. I mean, I've, I have bought and sold, uh, two houses in the last, 10 years and uh i can tell you now for the price that we paid for them and the price we sold them for we could not afford anybody to come and stage my home mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not worth the money for that um you know the the lucky thing is that it was um a seller's market for for a while i don't know if it is right now i can't you know 
Oh, I've, it's definitely I've, a seller's market right now. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is there? Is no? Here's a good. I didn't even think about this one. Are they doing episodes now about that are taking place in 2020? And how do you? I mean, I have friends who have been buying houses during the pandemic, and and they've told me like you know, it's gonna be cleared out. You have to wear a mask. All, all this. All there's all these preparations going into it. Um, you know, you don't want to be going into a house where someone's been living in, so you have to. Like stay somewhere else when, on days, so I'm I would I would watch that just out of curiosity to see how the prep works because that's the kind of weird nerd I am. I think there could be a whole show on people leaving the city to buy houses mm-hmm. because so many people you know they talk about the flight from New York and my my older son lives in New York and he says people aren't leaving because they're afraid of riots or crime or whatever like you know that's that's nothing like that was a flash in the pan people are leaving because they don't have to be in the city anymore and pay city prices because they can work from home and if you can work from home you can work anywhere so people are leaving the city especially people that have children who are cooped up in small apartments or you know small condos because you're living in a shoebox and for the money that you're paying there like you can buy a really nice house outside of the city that would be a really interesting show i think to watch because then you Mm. have the impact of all these people coming into established communities and what what is that like and not just you know there's been a lot of talk about people who had summer homes in the Hamptons who just went out there and stayed and the impact that that had on their year-round residents who were only used to people being there like in the summer season and that impact but you know there's been a lot of that or people had second homes that made it their primary residence because all of a sudden you know the chic apartment when your child was you know going to school was really claustrophobic when everybody was home <laughs> working and right. going to school. Yeah. Things. Yeah. That'd be neat. Well, I have one more question I'd like to ask you, and it's something that I think I'd, I'd like to ask all of our future guests moving forward. So you can trailblaze this one. <laughs> what would a doctor who house hunters crossover be like? <laughs> oh my God. He hates houses. It would just be, it would be hilarious because there would be nothing that he liked about a house or she would like about a house that everybody else would like. So he would walk in and see something that, oh, you know, it's hardwood floors or he'd have something disparaging to say about everything that people find desirable. He would freaking love a cougar knock. Right? Right. Or a cathedral ceiling. <laughs> or a cathedral ceiling. There's just more room. Like, why wouldn't you want to have this? So, or you can put your bats, right? I mean, when you can imagine the, the 13th doctor being like, what? There's no cookie dispenser in this kitchen? Why would I bother? You know, like, it just, the things that we would think about, it, it just would be really funny. Oh, my gosh. It would be so funny. Um, and You could compa- flip it then, too. Yeah. You could, you could have house hunters accidentally walk into... The TARDIS, thinking that they were doing a showing, uh, bringing someone into the TARDIS to uh, to show it, and then like the doctor wasn't available for like the first five minutes of it, and like just things got weirder and weirder and weirder. Oh, but you know, their bank wouldn't approve them for the mortgage anyway, so <laughs> it would just be a moot point. You know, we kind of saw a crossover anyway. What the, in Knock Knock? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. I guess yeah. isn't it? That's true. Or journey to the center of the TARDIS, right? And it's like, oh, you know, there's a large library for kids or readers. Also, there's a strange 
orb-like plant that uh, affects your mind. Oh, and here you can create lava twins. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a little deadly. You don't ever want to go into that room, right? That's not a good one. Yeah. But... How many bathrooms and pools do you have? <laughs> what? They're no... selling it for dirt cheap, though. <laughs> I, I think anytime you put any of the doctors in a very mundane domestic situation, it just... It's it, you're just asking for a hilarity. I'd watch it. I would I'd too. watch that show. I I hope someone writes that episode. <laughs> you guys are such good sports for watching this show. <laughs> no, this is great. And here's the thing: is like I, yeah. you know, I I might not watch House Hunters again, but I don't know. I mean, I was looking at a list. I, I went on Ranker just to kind of see like every. Each, I typed in, you know list of every house hunter-esque show out there and ranker Mm -hmm. you know listed the the most house hunter like shows out there and of course number one was house hunters which i don't know what that says about rankers listing but you know like (laughs) property brothers have you watched property brothers because these guys i don't know if i want to watch those two i don't i don't there's something about the way the two of them look maybe i'm just being judgmental (laughs) (laughs) uh so when when house hunters property brothers fixer upper house hunters international sounds interesting Love it or list it, curb appeal, dream house, flip or flop, flip that house. Anyway, yeah, there's house a lot Hunter, out there. House Hunters International is is that's a whole di- that's really funny, and we just can close on this because first of all, it's always some they're always moving for their job, right? Mm-hmm. And they always walk into they're so American. Oh my gosh, they're so American. So they'll walk into you know an apartment or a flat in Italy, and be like, oh. You know, like, well, I'm sorry, like, I need a full-size refrigerator. Like, I need... The things that they want are very American that just don't exist in other countries. So there's that level. And every single one, I swear I'm not making this up, they all have to have room for when their family come and visit. Right. And I'm thinking... (laughs) Nobody is coming to visit you nearly as much as you think they're coming to visit you. <laughs> Every single one has to have that extra guest room. And I'm thinking, yeah, my sister lived in Hawaii for three years. I just didn't quite make it. <laughs> I tried. It didn't work. Well, uh, before we let you go, uh, is there anything you want to plug? Any upcoming projects? Uh, something on Verity? Well, we are, we have decided that, uh, I'll give you guys a sneak peek because we haven't even announced it on our show yet, that we are spending 2021 on an extended version of what is making us happy in the world of Doctor Who. So we are only, we had a, we had a situation recently that we went back and we're watching some classic episodes and we watched Genesis of the Daleks and I found that really hard given our current political climate given um, the situation of the world today that was a really hard episode to watch and we all sat around and then we watched voyage of the damned um as to see if we liked that any better than the first time around and we kind of sat down like like why are we doing this to ourselves like why are we deliberately (laughs) watching things that we know we're going to be upsetting in a time when we're all just kind of a little more fragile than normal so we have decided that um yeah, Verity 2021 is going to be an extended version of only Doctor Who things that are making us happy and bring us joy. And that has me excited. I'm excited about that. That yeah, sounds, sounds fantastic. Great. 
Yeah, all the good bits. We're leaving all the bad bits on the floor. We'll talk about them in 2022. <laughs> if there is a 2022. Oh, shh. We have to go into 2021 <laughs> very quietly. We don't want to make any loud noises. We want to see how it's going to go before we take possession. Would they say, we'd well, like to then... see terms and conditions before we accept 2021. Yeah. <laughs> well, we want to find out whether or not our family can visit. And the answer is no. Uh, there's not enough room for them, and it would be dangerous. That's yes, so. right. Well, it took us 48 episodes, but Deb, thank you so much for joining us this month. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me and indulging me in this in this ridiculous show that has just been my mindless entertainment through some really harrowing months. Well, if folks haven't been watching it before, certainly they'll they'll start now because uh, I absolutely in agreement. Um, uh, not having to worry about a narrative and not having to worry about a plot and just uh, kind of enjoying. However you enjoy it, uh, it worked for me. So, so yeah, it was great having you on, and uh, thank you once again, and thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout-out to PixelWho for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month.